Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. 2,000 years ago, the world saw the original Palm Sunday. On that Palm Sunday, the Lord of heaven and earth entered Jerusalem on a baby donkey. He didn't come to us with power and magnificence, but with meekness and gentleness. On that Palm Sunday, those who sang Hosanna would five days later shout, crucify him. On that Palm Sunday, Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem, where he would endure the most painful and humiliating kind of death, the kind of death that would save the world. Palm Sunday is a reminder of who Jesus is and who we should be as we follow him. Palm Sunday reminds us that the way of Jesus is the way of the donkey, the way of humility, the way of gentleness. Palm Sunday reminds us that it's totally possible to be with Jesus on Sunday, but forsake him on Friday. And Palm Sunday reminds us that Friday is coming. had five days to live. Some of you are like me. That can't happen. I've got a list that I've got to check off. And I can't die on Friday because I'm just too busy. But you know, life doesn't work that way, does it? Last week, someone worshipped with us, and on Monday, she was gone. Over the last uh, couple weeks, I've had three funerals. No one knows how long they've gone. And so I asked amongst the staff, ministry staff this last week, I said, so if you had five days to live, what would you do? And I was talking to Dan and John. CJ didn't happen to be in an office at that time, but I asked the guys, I said, what do you think? And Dan said, I think I would prepare my family. I'd prepare my boys for me being gone. And I thought that was a great answer because that's exactly what Jesus did with the last five days of his life. He did a tremendous amount of teaching. He performed miracles. He drove out uh, the tax collectors and the money exchangers in the temple. It's amazing. He took a break in the middle of the week on Wednesday. It's called Silent Wednesday of Holy Week. And I think that was just to prepare for the passion, for the suffering that he would endure. But let's look in Matthew chapter 21, the first 11 verses, and I'm going to make a little commentary along the way. And if you're joining us online, I'm glad you're with us. I spoke to people in Ukraine this last week, as well as in Texas, which is another foreign country. But we're glad you're here wherever in the world that you are. But join us in Matthew chapter 21. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying. I want to stop here for a moment. I've always been fascinated with this passage. And if you read through the gospel narratives, and, and every gospel includes Palm Sunday in it, but, but from different perspectives, from different observers. And so if you wrestle with some facts, here's the fact that's out of line in the gospel, but, but the explanation is very simple. Most of the gospels only say there's one cult. Not two, but Matthew, who was an eyewitness, says there are two. You know why they think that he includes that there were two? Because of the distance it was required for Jesus to ride all the way in Jerusalem. It would have worn out one donkey, but it took two. And so it was something that the other writers didn't think was significant enough to include. If you read through the resurrection story, you're going to see some discrepancies but it's because of perspective in the story. And so don't lose faith or lose heart. Just like John preached a few weeks ago, the Bible is unified. If it were, if it were exactly word for word, you know what skeptics would say? They would say, well, they just copied each other because that way they would have the same story the same way, and it had to be false. So know what? Whatever way that it would have been written, there would have been skeptics and people who deny it. And so just know that as you read, I hope you spend some time meditating on the last week of Jesus' life. It's rich with, with content that we need to apply to our lives. And it's so practical at this time in our history. Folks, we've just been through a pandemic, a hundred-year plague. Some think we're on the verge of World War III. Some things are going on in our culture that are deeply disturbing, if you're in Christ. And at the same time, folks, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope if you know where your hope is. And the sermon is entitled today, A Parade of Hope. So notice what Matthew goes on to write. Verse 5, he says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Another interesting Idea. I've always wondered about, you know, why would the God send the Holy Spirit to talk to somebody about a donkey so that the Lord would have a donkey? There's a couple different ideas about that. And one is that the Holy Spirit actually did that, and Jesus actually uh, designated his disciples to go steal a donkey and let the owner know that the Lord had need of it. Now, you probably haven't heard it that way, right? That the disciples stole a donkey. That kind of was sort of like what it was. They procured or commandeered the donkey. The other idea is that Jesus happened to know, or the disciples happened to know this person, and maybe like you, you have some people that you know, and you say, hey, if you need a tool, if you need a cup of sugar, if you need anything, my house is your house, come on in and take what you need. And I believe Jesus had those types of followers that probably said to him, 
Lord, whatever you need, mine is yours. Use it as you will. So if you follow along in verse 7, they said they brought the donkey and the colt and put them put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now that makes it sound like he sat on two donkeys. Not, not the correct picture. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now this is very familiar. We've all celebrated Palm Sunday before. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. The idea here is the one that was coming was a king, was a Messiah. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And this is what the crowd said. This is a prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, this was a joyous occasion. But did you know that out of the three main feasts that the Jews celebrated in Israel, Passover was actually the only mournful celebration? The other two, the Jews were commanded to be joyous. But in this, on this occasion, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, In that parade, there was joy because of the hope that was being revealed through Jesus. Because Jesus, in this moment, is subtly, openly declaring his kingship. What we don't see that they saw was when they waved palm branches, they were waving the flag of Israel before the Romans and before the powers that be. And Jesus was claiming kingship and messiahship in that moment. Now, this was disruptive, and it was already a critical point in Jewish history Not 30 years later would all Jerusalem be destroyed. And there would be people massacred and killed by Rome because of a revolution. And so this was a boiling point situation, actually. You think we're divided today. They were even more divided. But what was different about this king was this that Jesus was entering Jerusalem peacefully. Why he chose the donkey was because it symbolized a king coming in peace. If he would have chosen a stallion, a horse, it would have symbolized a triumphant king coming in and, and taking over in a violent way. But Jesus came peacefully, He came humbly. And as you read the Gospels, you see the humility of our Savior and our King. He was a humble man. Can you imagine the Creator of the universe, omniscient, omnipresent from the very beginning, having that type of humility? 
not having to flex his muscles and to exert himself. But what, what, what is so astounding to me was the joy that the people had. Some people didn't even know what they were joyful about. They were just caught up in the moment. So desperate for hope. And I think that we are at a critical point where we are also desperate for hope. Don't you? I mean, after all we've been through, don't we just want a break? Can't we just get back to normal? And it seems like we struggle every time. If you look in verse 9b of this passage, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is from a psalm of ascent from either Psalms, uh, between Psalms 113 and Psalm 115. This is what the Jews would sing as they would go to worship, as they would climb their way up, as they'd walk the hill up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. It's called the Great Hallel. And it was the Great Hallelujah. And this is what they would sing as they were praising God to go and worship Him. And reminding them of the bondage that they had been freed of from the oppressors of the Egyptians and the freedom that Moses brought through the Lord that took them into the promised land. Now the parallel is this, that Jesus was coming and he not only was leading, but he was going to be that sacrifice that king that would lay down his life, that lamb of God that we sang about this morning. My question this morning for you is this. How do you celebrate Jesus as king in your life? I don't know if you stream very many programs, but I stream a lot. And a lot of the programs are about either the Vikings or royal history, English history, and it's all about lordship and kingship and people bowing down. And we're unfamiliar with that. Nobody bows down to anybody in our culture. We pay respects to judges and governors and presidents, but we, we have no idea of having powers over us that if we say the wrong things, if we would do the wrong things, we could easily die. I've, I've met some folks from countries where there is oppressive leadership, kings and princes, that people disappear and, and never are seen again. I can't imagine what that would be like. But even when they're out of their home country, they are very careful about what they say. Jesus wasn't that type of king. You might ask, like the crowd asked, who is this? Who is this king? And I think if we were really honest with ourselves, I think we would say that there's a lot of people that are lost and they're looking for a king. They're looking for a leader in their lives. I know a lot of 
what I would consider lost people that just really don't have a place to hang their hat in their morality, in understanding right from wrong, how to live, and they are going through life hitting guardrail to guardrail as they drive down the road of life and they're lost and they're struggling and, and they need a king in their lives. And, and, and really, we, we have to realize that we are going to serve someone and our choice is the king of this world, the prince of darkness, or the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's simply our choices. So the question is, what kind of king are you looking for? What kind of king? You see, this king that rode on a donkey into Jerusalem that day so long ago came to defeat an enemy greater than Rome. It wasn't politicized. It wasn't political. It was spiritual. You see, this was an enemy that knew no national boundaries and did not respect any political or sectarian differences. They didn't get lost in the minor issues. Evil was truly evil, and it was corrupt. And it was death-bringing, this enemy that our king came to overthrow. This was an enemy whose defeat would have repercussions far beyond the end of this life. Eternal salvation or eternal death far from God. The question is, has this king defeated the enemy in your life? It gets personal. It's just not universal. It's personal. Every one of us have these decisions, have this war going on inside of us. See, in that moment, on that Palm Sunday, they knew this king came to restore a kingdom. That was obvious. Jesus was subtly declaring it. But what they didn't realize is that he came to redeem his people. No other king had ever done that before, nor ever will again. They foresaw his sovereignty, his kingship, but they were stunned by his sacrifice. Unbelievable. But Jesus is not the type of king to rule over you, to exert his control, to command and to dominate you. No, he knocks on the door of your life, of your heart, in your conscience, through your spirit, to your soul, and calls you unto him and says, I have a way that is better. I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to know my spirit. I want you to live forever with me. I love you. I gave my life for you. Who wouldn't follow a king like that? There is no greater king. There is no greater Messiah. And as we think about this king that wouldn't, who wouldn't, exert his rule without redemption, 
we are reminded of the hope that we have. That God so loved you that he gave his son to die for you. You see, this week began with a parade of hope and it ended with a procession of death. I hope you're reading through your Bible as we approach Easter and through this season and the focus. I've been, to this morning I was just reading about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who had came by night, two secret disciples of Jesus who claimed his body, who went before Pilate and asked for it. They were risking their reputations, their religious, political influence in the moment. And they stepped up at the lowest point where everyone else had abandoned Jesus, but God had provided a way of burial for Jesus' body in that moment. It's fascinating what God does. And, and reminded of God's faithfulness, even in the little details. But they laid that body to rest without hope. And how many of our friends, our relatives, our neighbors live lives in this world where they might have a parade of hope, but it ends in death and that's all there is. And they wrestle with what happens after death. But not us. Not Christians. Not followers of the way like I talked about last week. Not us. There is something beyond the grave. In the last few weeks, I told you I'd had three funerals. All three were faithful, faithful believers in the Lord. And every family knew where they were. They, they knew in their heart of hearts. They'd lived life. They'd, they'd fought the fight. They'd finished the race. They'd kept the faith. They knew where they were. And, and they knew there was going to be a reunion someday. Uh, one of them said, you know, I, I've lived so long that there are more people in heaven that I love and cherish than there are here on earth. I feel my heart being drawn home. And that's real, isn't it? That's real. But it it was of faith. It wasn't depressed. It was not mournful. It was with hope that that relationship would be restored. I was talking to the guys this week again. And uh, I said, hey, I'm uh, thinking about this and I'm preaching this. And Dan said, hey, I got something for you. He said, had you heard that no one dies at Disney? I said, no, but I don't believe it. I'm a little skeptical. The truth is that they try to make it so. No one's, they try not to declare anyone dead at Disney because it's the happiest place in the world. Exactly. So they do everything they possibly can. Folks, that's not reality, is it? That's not the God we serve. The reality is that Jesus said, in this life there's going to be trouble. 
And, and when we look at this week of Jesus' life, man, he was heading toward the cross. But he wasn't being forced there. He chose to go there for you and me. For sinful lost people that had no hope. And he did it out of love. And love took him to the cross. Not to deny reality, but for us to live in the reality that we serve a king who would suffer and die for us, that we might serve him and live with him forever to have that life that no one can take away. And we praise God for that, don't we? Will you please stand as I pray? Father God, we are so, so very thankful. We don't have words for, for the reality of what you've done. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the hope that goes beyond the grave. Father, we're, we're thankful for your people that support and to love and to encourage that, that physically and spiritually support and work through our lives. And Father, we just, we just ask that we, you would do your work in us. And Father, if there's those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that are living without hope, Father, today's the day. Now's the time. Father, for us that need to be re-encouraged and, and to be given hope and joy, I pray, Father, your spirit would come along and th that would inject that into our lives. That we might visibly and physically and emotionally and spiritually reflect that to others that so desperately need to have hope right now. Father, who are lost and far from you. That's who Jesus came to save. And Father, we just pray that we as your people would fulfill your prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we can serve no greater king. And Father, our vow is that we will serve no lesser king. Father, we praise you for the Lordship of Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen. Will you come this morning?